verses 1 and 2. Tonight I'd like to bring you uh, a message um, as a means of reflection on our own lives. And the title of this message is, uh, Where Do You Stand? And uh, our text is going to be Hosea chapter 14, verses 1 and 2. And what we're going to do tonight is we're going to use two characters in the book of Hosea, uh, the one being Gomer and the other being Hosea himself. And we're going to use them as a means of showing us two particular stances that you can take when it comes to your walk with the Lord. And my intention tonight, like I had said before, is to use this message as a means of uh, being a mirror through which you can look and see yourself. And you can see where you stand in relation to where Gomer stood and in relation to where Ahab had stood. Okay, And so we're going to begin reading in verse 1. And uh, I'm going to read both verses, and then we'll go back to verse 1 and read a little bit, and we'll start there. And uh, Hosea chapter 14 and verse 1, this is what the Word of God says. O Israel, return unto the Lord thy God, for thou hast fallen by thine iniquity. Take with you words, and turn to the Lord. Say unto him, take away all iniquity, and receive us graciously, so will we render the calves of our lips. By way of an introduction, I'd like to explain to you that uh, Gomer in this book of the Bible is a representation of Israel in the present day. What the Lord would do with many of the prophets is he would not only give them uh, something to say to the children of Israel, but he would also have them uh, use an example. Sometimes it would be um, a Uh, example of something that they could show the children of Israel, or it might be an example through themselves. And so if you look at the book of uh, Hosea, you find that the Savior uh, gives Hosea this um, responsibility, and he calls him to actually marry uh, Gomer. And if you don't know who Gomer was, she was a woman who was taken in the sin of sleeping with other men. And so the Savior had Hosea marry Gomer for a particular reason, and the reason was this. He was trying to give Israel a picture of the relationship that he had with them. Gomer was a sinful woman who was unfaithful to Hosea, but that was very much the same with Israel. Israel was unfaithful to the Savior and was sin-filled. And so what the Lord does uh, through Hosea is he he has him preach to the children of Israel, and he calls them to repentance, but he also gives them this distinct, vivid picture of what they're doing. And so tonight, what I want to do is I, I want to look at uh, Gomer, and I want to look at Hosea, I mean, uh, yeah, Hosea, and I want to show you two different stances that you can have in your Christian life. And I want you to be able to look at those two stances and say, okay, do I stand where Gomer stood? Do I stand somewhere maybe in between? Or do I stand where uh, Hosea stood? And so the first thing that we're going to point out uh, in verse 1 is your return. If you look at verse 1, it says, O Israel, return unto the Lord thy God. So what I'd like to do is I'd like to talk about this first point. When you get caught up in sin, and when you go to return to the Lord, to return to that right-standing position and that right-standing relationship with the Savior, do you do so slowly? Do you do so in a manner that uh, gives the devil opportune time to get you back into that sin that you once were in before? 
Do you slowly uh, try to get yourself out of that sin and then uh, slowly make your way back to the Savior and, and slowly try to restore that relationship with the Savior? Because if, if you go about it through this, through this means of slowly making your way back to the Savior, you're giving the devil all the time that he needs to just throw one little pebble along the way and get you to stumble and to get you right back into where he had you before. If you look at Gomer, what you see is you see this woman who, in a sense, she's, she's stuck in sin and, and she's, she's filled with sin. And, and in a sense, the way that I would like to compare it is this. She marries Hosea, okay? And then she leaves Hosea for other men. And then in Hosea, God goes to Hosea and he says, listen, I need you to go buy Gomer back. And so Hosea does. He goes back and he buys Gomer. And what I'm trying to say is this. Not only do we need not to go slowly in our return to the Savior, but we need to make sure that we stay. Gomer went back to Hosea, but then she left. How often in our walk with the Savior do we, we go back to the Savior, we return to that right-standing relationship with our Savior, and then we go right back to the sin that we once were in before. And that's what Gomer does. Is she, she gives us this picture of, of, of Israel, in a sense, going to the Savior, going back to their God, and, and serving Him for just a short period of time, and then going right back to that same sin that they were in before. And so when we look at her, we can see, okay, there's, there's an error to uh, going back to the Savior there's an error in standing in a position where you slowly return to that right-standing relationship with the Savior. But there's also an error in going back to the Savior and then leaving again for the sin. And going back to the Savior and leaving again for that sin. Because what you do is you keep putting that taste in your mouth for that sin. and The devil's just going to continue to cultivate that taste for the sin. And it's going to be even harder the next time to get out of the clutches and out of the grasp of that sin that you've allowed to cultivate. And so that's what we see when we look at Gomer. And then when we look at uh, Hosea, we see this, this quick return to the Savior. And the way that we see this is that as soon as God had given uh, Hosea this, um, this, not a job, but this um, task, this task of, of marrying Gomer and of uh, having her as his wife, he immediately did it. The Bible doesn't say anything about him waiting. The Bible doesn't say anything about him questioning God. The Bible doesn't say anything. It just simply says that he did as God had asked him to do. He, he quickly went about doing what God had given him to do. And so what we can do is we can take a principle from that and we can say we need to quickly return to the Savior. Because we already talked about how if we slowly try to make our way back to that right standing position with the Savior and getting rid of that sin, we can get caught back up in it. But if we quickly get back to the Savior, you're giving the devil less time to be able to get you back to where he had you before. And so if you look at Hosea, you can see, okay, I need to quickly get back to the Savior. I need to quickly get back to the one who could give me the strength to stay out of that sin that had gotten me for a time. To get out of whatever had held me, in a sense, from having that relationship that God wants me to have with him. To get out of that uh, place that's really, in a sense, taking from me the blessings that God wants to give me. Uh, that gets me uh, back to the place where God can give me the strength I need to continue to follow him as I ought to. If you look at Israel throughout its entire history, you see time and time again where they missed out on so many blessings from God. 
Or they missed out on seeing God work in a miraculous way and giving them victory over their enemies. Now, there are times in Scripture where it shows you that when they turn to God, when they quickly return to the Savior, you see where God blessed them and where God used them and where God uh, gave them the victory over uh, nations that had armies 10 to uh, 20 times their own size. But more often than not, you see where they didn't get to enjoy those blessings and they didn't get to see those miraculous works of the Savior. And so if, if we can get an understanding of this need to quickly get back to the Savior, we can enjoy that much more of the blessings that God has in store for us. We can enjoy the strength that God has to give us to be able to get through the things that this wife, that means wife, excuse me, life throws at us. And we can get victory over those things. And it's, it, to me, and it's such an amazing thing that God gives us so many examples in his word to where he shows us, okay, look, if you just stay with me, if you stick by my side, if you stand by me, I will give you every bit of strength you need. I will bless you in ways you couldn't imagine. I will do with you something that you couldn't imagine ever being done. And so if we just look at this first um, part of this verse and we see that uh, this return, we see that we shouldn't slowly return to the Savior. We should quickly return to him. And so not only do we see uh, where do you stand in relation to your returning to the Savior, but we also see uh, where you stand in relation to iniquity. If you read uh, the latter part of verse 1, it says, For thou hast fallen by thine iniquity. Uh, if you don't know what iniquity is, iniquity is literally the sum total of sin. Iniquity is where someone who has taken part in sin for so long has found themselves enjoying the sin and just being focused on the sin and not paying attention to the negative effect that it's having on them, the negative effect that it's having in their relationship with the Savior, or the negative effect that it's having with others around them. Iniquity is quite literally the sum total, the place that you will find yourself if you continue to allow sin to stay consistent in your life. If you look at Gomer, you see that as clear as day. She partook in a sin and she stayed in it. It had taken her wholly and it kept her. And even when she went back to Hosea, that, still, that sin still remained a part of who she was. She could not get out of that sin. And so if you look at her, what you can see, first of all, is that in an unbothered um, view, in a sense, of sin can lead you to that place that Gomer was in, where sin didn't bother her. It didn't matter to her. It didn't matter how it affected Hosea. It didn't matter how it affected the three children she had with him. It didn't matter how it affected the Savior. It didn't matter about anything. All she could think about was that sin. And so if we can uh, look at our stance, okay, and if we can look at, okay, do we stand in a position where we're unbothered by sin, we're unbothered by where it can lead us to, then rather than standing next to the Savior, we can find ourselves slowly but surely making our way to a position where we're far away from the Savior and where we're caught up in that sin and when we quite literally are taken in that iniquity. Listen, iniquity isn't something that just happens right off the cuff. It's something that's slow, sin by sin, bit by bit, and then once it's all said and done, you find yourself almost locked into that sin that you've allowed. And that's what happened with Gomer. And so what we can draw from that is, okay, we need to make sure that we are not unbothered by sin. Because if we are unbothered by sin, if we stand 
in a position where we are unbothered by it, then it's that much easier to find ourselves slowly but surely making our way away from the Savior and into that sin and being taken by it. And so if, if, if that's to be said, then we also see that we need to be bothered by it. We need to be bothered by sin. Whenever we see sin, we should say, no, that's not happening. I'm not doing that again, especially if it's something that the devil's gotten you in. Because if the devil takes you down into sin and you get back into that right standing relationship with the Lord and, and the Lord helps you get out of that sin, you see clearly what you ought not to do so you don't go back into that sin and The second time, the Lord teaches you a lesson. He gives you the tools you need, and he shows you the means through which you can say, okay, I'm not doing that again. It's not going to happen again. And so the devil might have thought, okay, well, I've given him a taste of what it's like. But the Savior gave you the ability to say, okay, I know what I need to avoid this time. I know what I need to watch out for. I know what I need to do to make sure that doesn't happen again. And so if we stand in a position where we're bothered by sin, when we're bothered by where it can take us, then every time it pops itself up, every time the devil presents it to us, we can look at it and we can say, no, we are not going to do that. No, I am not going to do that. I'm not going to allow it to take me down a path where rather than standing next to my Savior and being bothered by sin, I find myself unbothered by it. And then slowly but surely, like I said before, you find yourself that much farther from the Savior. And so many times in the Christian's life, they find themselves going, oh, well, I feel like the Lord's not with me anymore. I don't feel like I can feel the presence of God. I don't feel like I'm as close to the Savior as I once was. And let's say that this podium is the Savior. It's because they have allowed themselves to be unbothered by sin and to slowly but surely walk away from the Savior. And the Savior is still there. He has not left them. But instead, they have walked away from him. And so the farther you walk away from the Savior, the less you're going to feel his presence and his working and his moving in your life. Because what you've done in turn is you've given precedence to sin and you've allowed it to cultivate really in a sense a priority in your life. And rather than your focus being on the Savior, your focus is on the sin. And so tonight, I just want you to just think. Think about where you stand. Do you stand close to the Savior or do you stand in a position a little bit away from him? Or do you find yourself all the way away from him? If you can pinpoint where you stand in relation to the Savior, then you know what you need to do to get back to that right standing relationship with the Savior. And you know what you need to do to be able to enjoy the blessings that God wants to give you, to enjoy the strength that God has to offer you, and all those other things that God wants to give you. Just like he wanted to give so much to Israel, and they weren't able to get all of those things because of the sin that kept taking them away. The Lord has so much in store for you, and you can miss all of those things just simply based on where you stand. Because having a wrong stance can lead you away, but having the right stance can help you stand close to the Savior. And so we see these first two things in verse number one, and we see two more things in verse two. The third is, uh, where do you stand in relation to... To where you turn. And this is an interesting thing, and I'll explain it here in a moment. But if you look at verse 2, this is what the Word of God says. Take with you words and turn to the Lord. Hosea says something to the Israelites. He says, listen, you need to turn to the Lord. And so if, if there is this turning to the Lord, then there's a turning away from the Lord. And that would be turning to our human nature. 
And so when this would come into play, when the standing uh, in relation to human nature, that would come in the form of you making a decision, and rather than consulting the Savior, you consult your own self. You say, okay, well, I have the wisdom, and I have the knowledge necessary to make this decision, and, and if I make this decision, it'll be okay. It will work out in the end. Or uh, say that there comes a point in time where um, you find yourself making a decision, okay, uh, should I move, or not should I move, excuse me, um, should I uh, go down this path that I know I ought not to, because this is where sin has gotten me before, and, and you think, okay, okay, I think I can make the right decision in this. I, I won't go down that path. I'll go down a path similar to it, and, and I'll be just fine. Rather than going to the Savior, and rather than consulting him and asking him, okay, Lord, can you give me the wisdom I need to make the right decision here? You consult your human nature, and what is your human nature going to do? It's not going to lead you in any direction other than where sin is. And so even if you think in your mind, okay, well, you know, this won't lead me down the same path. This won't uh, take me anywhere close to where I've been before. It will inevitably do so. Because human nature is the sin nature that's in you. And it is only going to draw you away from the Savior. And so in relation to where you stand and where you turn, rather than turning, okay, to your human nature, which in a sense is going to slowly but surely take you farther away from the Savior, you in turn do what we ought to do in the first place, and that's turn to the Lord. See, what Hosea was trying to do with the children of Israel is he's saying, listen, you have spent so many years turning to your own strength and turning to your own desires and turning to your own aspirations, and all it has done is brought you farther away from the Savior. All it has ever done is brought harm and destruction upon you. And so if that's the case, and if we look at this portion of Scripture and we see him just calling out to Israel and saying, listen, turn to the Savior, turn back to him, get that right standing relationship that you ought to have with him, then what he's saying inevitably is turn to the Lord in every decision that you make, in every area of life, because what it's going to do is it's going to simply draw you closer to the Savior, to where you are as close as you possibly can be to him, and you will be able to enjoy all the blessings that he has held stored up for you, all the blessings that he had told you he would bring to you, and all the covenants that he had made with Abraham and with David and with all those things. Hosea is trying to get them to understand, listen, you're missing out on so much because you've turned to your human nature rather than turning to the Lord. And he's trying to get them to understand that if you turn to the Lord, you will be blessed. You will see him moving you will see a great change that you thought would not happen. And so if that's the case, then the principle that we can draw from that is that whenever we go to make a decision, don't turn to your human nature to make the decision. Don't turn to your own strength. Don't turn to your own wisdom. Don't turn to your own knowledge. Turn to the Savior and ask him for wisdom and what you ought to do. And that's not to say that you can't make a good decision in your own self. But wouldn't it be that much better of a decision made if you had first consulted the Savior who knows that much more than you do and knows exactly what that decision is going to turn out to be in the end? And so that's the idea that we get, in a sense, uh, from this uh, portion of Scripture. It's, it's not just looking at where we stand in relation to um, 
to our returning to the Savior and not just uh, where we stand in relation to iniquity and not just in where we stand in relation to where we turn. There's a fourth one. It's where we stand in relation to what you say, what we say. If you look at verse 2, Hosea goes on to say this. Say unto him, take away all iniquity and receive us graciously. So will we render the calves of our lips? You know what Hosea is saying here? When you speak to the Savior, speak to him in sincerity. Don't just speak to him in a manner of, okay, I'm just going to talk to him because I just need to talk to him. No, speak to him in sincerity. Call out to him. And you know what the first thing he starts out with saying is this, take away all iniquity. He says the first thing you ought to do when you call out to the Savior is to ask him to take the iniquity that has come into this land and that has taken you captive away. And then in the verse, he goes on to say this, and receive us graciously. He goes on to say, petition the Lord that he might restore that relationship that you once had with him. Petition that the Lord might bring you back to him, that he would forgive you of your sin and that he would bring you back to him. And then at the last part of this verse, there's an interesting statement. And I first looked at it and I said, I don't quite understand what that means. But if you read it, it says, so will we render the calves of our lips. Hosea is simply saying this. There needs to be this sincerity that comes from the deepest part of you when you talk to the Savior. It, doesn't, it shouldn't be this lighthearted, oh, well, we repent of our iniquity and, oh, we need your help. It's, it's the sincerity, this deep-rooted need for the Savior to forgive and to make whole. And so if that's the case, then we see where we ought not to stand, and that's in prayer and in talking to the Savior in reservation. And what I mean by that is there can come a point in time when we pray and, and we pray with this thought in mind. Well, I mean, I know the Savior can do that, but will he? I mean, I've seen him do that for someone else, but I don't know, can, can he really do that for me? I mean, we've prayed for so many people in the church to be healed, but he hasn't. So can he really heal? Can, can I talk to him? Can I ask him to heal me? Will he do it? And so if you begin to pray in reservation, just like with everything we've talked about before, it's just like you slowly but surely find yourself stepping farther and farther away from the Savior. You find yourself standing in a position that you really did not want to stand in the first place. But it's because you've allowed, in a sense, these negative aspects of where you stand to come into play and to take you away from the Savior. And so what I want you to do is I just want you to be able to look at Hosea, and I want you to be able to look at these portions of Scripture and learn that where you stand is very important in your relationship and in your walk with the Savior. Because there can be a time in your life, and it can carry all the way to the end of your life, where you're standing as close as you possibly can to the Savior because you keep these things in mind. You keep in mind, you know, am I standing where the Savior is the one in whom I go to? Am I standing in a position where I'm bothered by sin? And then also, do I stand in a position where I'm going to the Lord, not to my human nature, but I'm going to the Lord about things? And so uh, we find ourselves at this last point where, you know, we, where do we stand in relation to what we say? Do we, we, do we talk to the Savior in a way where we're reserved? We talk to him in almost a form of unbelief. We've begun to doubt the Savior that saved us from our sins and made us whole and will keep us that way. 
And so it's that slight reservation that can slowly but surely take you to a position where you don't talk to the Savior at all. We were using Gomer and uh, um, Hosea as an example. Do you think Gomer at any time consulted the Savior where she was? I mean, just look at Israel. If Gomer was supposed to be an example of Israel, look at Israel at this time. They weren't talking to the Savior. They didn't want to have anything to do with the Savior. All they were wanting to do is continue in the same sin that they had been in for so long. That's where you can find yourself. That's where some of my friends throughout my years have found themselves. And so if, if we look at um, this reservation in prayer, why don't we look at the sincerity in prayer? We talked about this last, uh, the last part of this verse being uh, something that needed to be said in sincerity. And, and I'm going to read it one more time. It says, Say unto him, Take away all iniquity and receive us graciously. So will we render the calves of our lips. He's saying, listen, Israel, pray sincerely to the Savior. Pray confidently to the Savior. Pray to the one that has proved himself throughout history itself to you, that he is faithful and that he is true to hold to his word. And so Hosea is trying to just get them to get a hold of praying sincerely, praying in confidence, praying and knowing that when they call upon the Savior, he will in fact answer their prayer. We've been talking about revival. We've been talking about uh, God moving in each and every one of our lives. If that is to happen, there needs to be this sincereness, this sincerity in our prayer, this seriousness about God really getting you, getting a hold of you, okay, and beginning to make you and mold you into who he would have you be, even if it hurts. Even if he sends a few trials and tribulations your way, you are sincerely getting a hold of God and asking that he would do something with you. And it doesn't matter to you what comes in opposition to that. You are still sincerely getting a hold of God because you know that if you get a hold of him and you've asked him to do something with you, then he's going to give you the strength you need to do that very thing. That's not to say that it's going to be easy. But it's to say without a shadow of a doubt that you're going to have every bit of strength to do that very thing. There have been men and women of God in history that sincerely got a hold of God, that sincerely wanted to do what God had given them to do on this earth, and they accomplished that goal. And when we read accounts about them in history, we see that there were trials, there were tribulations, there were hardships, there were difficulties that tried to stop them, that the devil in the world tried to use. But the strength of God, the might of God, pushed them right through all of those things. And the reason as to why that was the case is because they sincerely talked to the Savior and they knew without a shadow of a doubt that he was going to answer and he was going to do with them what he said he would do, what he called them to do. And so I just want you to get a hold of uh, this understanding of where do you stand? Because where you stand, like I said before, has an incredible um, pull on your relationship with the Savior on what you can accomplish in this life for the Savior. And, and one thing I, I, I keep trying to get a hold of, and uh, I keep trying to tell my friends that um, are in, you know, God has called them into, I have one friend, excuse me, that I was actually called to be a welder. He's a great welder. And I told him, I said, listen, I said, God has given you a gift to weld. I said, he's put you in a place where there's people, for the most part, 
that don't speak in a manner that's right at all. Uh, he says that most of the people that he works with are pretty uh, grotesque with the words that they speak and with the things that they do. And I told him, I said, listen, God gave you the gift, okay, to be able to weld so well that it impresses everyone around you. And you tell me that they're always asking you, how are you able to do that? I said, what is that? That's an opportunity to share with them the Savior. And so what I was trying to get him to understand and what I've tried to, in a sense, get other people to understand, other friends of mine, is that wherever God has called you, God can use you in a mighty way. You can reach people anywhere you are, wherever you work. And if you can get a hold of this sincere um, desire to get a hold of God, and you can let him begin to work on you, and you can have that right stance next to the Savior, then what he can do is he can use you wherever you are to bring as many, in a sense, as you really desire to bring to the Savior. I have seen my grandfather get so passionate about getting a hold of the Lord and him going out every day, knocking on doors, talking to people at Walmart, going to all sorts of different places, and just trying to get as many people to the Lord as he could. And because he was sincerely going after the Savior and asking him to do that, God was giving him soul after soul after soul. I mean, person after, excuse me, person after person after person to lead to the Savior. The Lord can do that with any one of you, wherever you are. But you get to have that sincerity, that sincerity in your prayer, knowing that if you can get a hold of God, that he's going to do what he said he will do giving you the strength that you need to do what he's called you to do. And so tonight, I just want you to get a hold of that idea of, of where do you stand in relation to the Savior. And so this would be your takeaway from tonight. Stand with a desire to serve and be like the Lord. If you look at Hosea, that's, that's an example. He did exactly what God had called him to do. He followed the Savior. He preached what God had told him to preach to the children of Israel. He married Gomer, knowing that she would probably leave him. He, he did exactly what God had called him to do, and God gave him every bit of strength, every bit of ability, everything that he needed to do, all of it. And the effect that it had on the nation of Israel is something that we clearly see in Scripture. It moved Israel. It affected them. See, God used one man to do that to a nation. How much more can he do with 50 of us or 40 of us? I am amazed when I look at history at what one person was able to do with, with this sincerity, with this right standing position with the Savior. Imagine what he can do with all of us. If we pray in sincerity, if we have this right standing uh, relationship with the Savior, then we can do great and mighty things for him that this world has yet not seen. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, it was D.L. Moody who had a conversation with the a fellow friend of his in the faith. And when they had this conversation, uh, Dale Moody left with this uh, thought that the world has yet to see what a person wholly surrendered to God can do. Dale Moody reached hundreds of thousands of people with the gospel. And if he's making a statement like that, imagine how many people we can reach in this church. So I want you to just bear in mind that where you stand in relation to the Savior has an incredible effect on what you are able to do for the Lord. And the blessings that you can enjoy and the strength that God has to give and what God wants to do with you and you being able to take part in that or not. So keep in mind, 
Where do I stand in relation to the Savior? 